I want to take a moment and welcome you to Cornerstone Congregational Church. We're thrilled to have so many of you here tonight on our Christmas Eve service, so welcome. My name is Jonathan, I'm the pastor, and uh, it's my pleasure to, to serve and to, to uh, shepherd this church every single week. And if you're someone who is looking for a church or uh, are in the area and, uh, and you're looking around, we invite you to come and to make Cornerstone Congregational Church your home. And if you are new here tonight, if you're one of our first-time guests, we invite you to fill out our white welcome card in the, in the chairs. Uh, and then after the service, if you take this back to the Welcome Center, we actually have a lovely gift for you, this, uh, this wonderful mug. So we're bribing you. We're bribing you for your info. So if you would just fill that out and take it back, we'd love to give this to you as a gift. You can call it your first Christmas gift of the year. And I also want to take... Uh, a moment and welcome anyone that's online on our Facebook page. You can now uh, watch through our live stream. And so uh, if you can't make it to church one week or uh, you want to tell your friends about the church, one way is to send them to our Facebook page and they can check out the service before they come. All right, I'm going to keep the kids in their seats. I know this is when I usually pray for you, but I will pray for you from up here and you get to listen to me. So I'm sorry. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, so if you can flip in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, that's on page 39, if you grabbed one of the pew Bibles on uh, the way in, the NIV Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that home, it's our gift to you. We want everyone to have uh, the story of what God has done for us, the story that we watched in this video. So Exodus chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Let me say a, a prayer for us and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story of Moses, of you delivering him, of you saving him. Thank you for the story of Jesus that we're going to get to as part of this message as well. Lord, would you open up this story to our hearts, open it up to teach us what you want us to learn tonight, and would it move us uh, to, to do what you're calling us to do? 
And I pray for the kids here tonight, Lord, that are staying in the service. Would you open their hearts too as well so that they get the sermon and that they, uh, they, they learn about you. And most importantly, that they come to a relationship with you, that you know them and they know you, uh, and, they, and that they know that you love them. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Now, around this time of the year, we receive a lot of things. We receive gifts, we give gifts, but if any of you ever had something stolen from you, maybe a gift or a Christmas gift, I think it was a reoccurring fear that I had in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Sometimes my parents would put out the Christmas gifts a little early. I had this fear that all the Christmas gifts were just going to disappear all at once. And I definitely had that fear on Christmas Eve that, that our gifts were just going to be stolen. And that was pretty, pretty scary for me. Whenever you heard about that on the news, I was convinced our house is next. All of our gifts are going to be gone in the morning. Now, it never happened, uh, thank God. But I did just hear of a story out of St. George, Utah, about three teenagers who tried to steal a laser light show. So you've seen those, those laser light shows shining on the houses. They tried to steal a laser light show from a homeowner's front yard. But unfortunately for them, he was home. I'm going to read a, a little clip for you from the St. George News. On November 27th, at approximately 8.45 p.m., laser light bandits had struck. This time at the home of Little Valley resident Scott Jones, where juveniles had allegedly helped themselves to Jones Star Showers laser point light. A popular Christmas decor item which projects patterns onto a house or building and typically costs between $25 to $75. This is a quote. The crazy kids stole my laser light show right out of our yard, Jones wrote in a Facebook post. They picked the wrong old man to mess with because I got in the car and found them. <laughs> Jones dialed 911 as he followed the alleged thieves in his vehicle. They led me on a 20-minute joyride, he said, but my mad driving skills kept up with their evasive maneuvers. Still quoting. With a 9-11 dispatcher now on the line, Jones said he called out street names along with traffic infractions perpetrated by the juveniles, such as speeding and blowing through stop signs. The car chase continued through Little Valley into Bloomington Hills and then over by Desert Hills High School, reaching speeds up to 50 miles per hour, he said. An officer finally pulled in front of me and got the crazy kids, Jones said, noting that he retrieved his stolen laser light. Scott Jones is my old worship pastor. <laughs> He's the guy that played the music and, and, and led the service uh, in my, my church that I grew up in, in Estes Park. He is the most nice, he's like the nicest, most loving guy. And if, if those three teenagers had just knocked on his door and asked if they could have his laser light show, I'm sure he would have just given them to him. Uh, but, you know, can't steal from his yard. Now, Exodus is similar in a way. Exodus is the story of God retrieving what was stolen from him. God going after the people of Israel. See, the nation of Israel, uh, the people of God, they are stolen uh, by Pharaoh. Pharaoh tries to enslave them. 
Now, at the end of Genesis, the, at the beginning of Exodus, we learn that the people of Israel came and they lived in Egypt for 400 years. And during that time, Pharaoh put them to work. He, 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 he enslaved them. It, it says he made their lives bitter. He made them uh, make bricks and cities. He made them suffer under hard labor. See, they are, he is trying to steal God's people for his own purposes, but God won't have it. See, God is going to raise up a leader. God is going to raise up a rescuer, a deliverer to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He's going to deliver them. And this is a man, and we're reading the, the story of his birth, but it's a man named Moses. And Pharaoh, in this plan, as he tries to hold on to God's people, as he tries to hold on to the Israelites, he does some pretty awful things. He tells the Hebrew midwives to kill all the newborn boys. And then he commands that the newborn boys would be thrown into the Nile River. He did this because if you want to raise an army, well, who do you raise the army with? The young men. And so the best way to keep these people enslaved is to get rid of the men. But the good news is that God has a rescue plan. He has a way to get his people back. See, God is going to use a man named Moses. But first, God has to rescue Moses from Pharaoh. And this is really what our passage is about today. Now, last week, we, we kicked off this new sermon series in the book of Exodus, and I'll, I'll summarize it real quickly for those that weren't here last week. But one of the, one of the points that we, that we learned is that God uses the faith of two ordinary women, ordinary Hebrew midwives, to defeat Pharaoh, and ultimately to defeat the enemy of God. And this week, our story starts with similar faith, the faith of another woman, Moses' mother, now, her name is Jochebed, and God uses the faith of Moses' mother to rescue Moses. So she has this baby, and she has to hide him for three months. But before long, it becomes too hard to hide him. Now, I have not been a dad yet, but I, I assume that there comes a time when those lungs get really strong, and those lungs get really good, and uh, the crying just starts to get really loud. So there came a point as a young uh, mother here that she had to hide her baby in another way. Couldn't just have him in her home. And so she puts together a basket. She weaves a basket out of papyrus, which is kind of like uh, paper, uh, uh, thick paper. She, she weaves it out of basket, uh, a basket and then covers this basket with oil and pitch uh, and tar to, to protect the baby, to make it float. Now, there's an interesting connection between this story and another story in the Bible. See, the word for basket here is the word ark. It's the word ark. And there's only one other time in the Old Testament that this word is used. Can you guess what it is? It's the story of Noah and his ark. Now, Noah's ark is the story of God rescuing a man, right? God rescuing a family, now, Noah, our, our, the video described it really well, but all people have become really evil. They've been disobeying God, and so God decides to wipe all people off the face of the earth by sending a flood. 
But he chooses to rescue some people, Noah's family. And so what does Noah build? Noah builds an ark, which is like a giant boat that you can uh, get through the flood in. And uh, Noah brings his family onto this ark, and he brings the animals onto the ark. And Noah and his family and those animals are spared all entirely by God's grace, by God's compassion on them. And we can imagine now that as, as Moses' mother, Jochebed, as she is weaving this basket together, that she is remembering the story of Noah and the ark, that she is praying, God, will you deliver my child? Will you deliver my baby? Uh, not from this, this, uh, this, this big flood, but from this river, from, from the Nile, this, this, this river that's supposed to bring death God, I believe that you can rescue my child even in this moment just like you rescued Noah and his family. There's this type of faith that that Jochebed has, that Moses' mother has, and it's called resurrection faith. Resurrection is any time life comes out of death. See, Jochebed has resurrection faith. She, She believes that God can rescue her baby out of death, out of the Nile bringing life out of death. See, Moses' mother places him in the very river that is supposed to kill him in the Nile. She does so trusting that just like God delivered Moses, if it's God's will, God will deliver Noah as well from the waters that should have killed him. Moses' mother has faith. I know we have some moms here tonight. We have some parents. And we can uh, take this passage as an encouragement, as an encouragement to parents. Uh, We have a God who listens to our prayers, who cares about small baby boys, who cares about our children. And so you should be encouraged. Take that home tonight that that you, just like Jochebed, can, can pray to God Pray for the physical well-being of your children if you're worried about them. As they go skiing this winter, as they get their new toys, they get their new bicycles or new skateboards, and they want to go play with them outside on the ice, you can pray that God will protect them. You can also put a helmet on them. That's acceptable too. (laughs) How about spiritual well-being? Now, many of you are are Christian families, and you think about your children, and if they will come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Another thing you can do is you can just place them in the Father's hands. You can place them in God's hands. Say, God, would you protect my children? Would you raise them to be uh, one with you, to have spiritual life in you? You can trust, just like Jacob, that God will bring life out of death, spiritual life out of spiritual death for your children. Now, I think Jochebed is an amazing example of faith, of the faith that all of us should try to have. And you can imagine that it was very difficult for her to take her child to the shore of the Nile and place him in the reeds. But she doesn't leave her child alone. She leaves her child with God. She gives her child to God saying, God, I'm going to trust you in a very real way, in a very physical and tangible way. I'm going to trust you with my child. Take this ark, Father. But then also, she leaves her daughter there. She leaves Miriam. Now, God uses the faith of Moses' mother, and he uses the courage of Moses' sister. 
Now, Moses' mother, she assigns Miriam to watch him. Now, Miriam is probably between 6 years old to 12 years old. Do we have any 12 years old or younger kids here tonight? Can you just raise your hand? All right, we got at least one. We got two. Okay, so we have a couple kids that are 6 to 12. Great job. I'm grateful that you're here. Well, you should pay attention because Miriam is just about your age, too. And she does something amazing. She does something very courageous. See, she's watching her baby brother. And when, when, Moses, uh, when, uh, when Pharaoh's daughter comes to the Nile, something really amazing happens. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the Nile, and she spots the basket. She spots the ark among the reeds. And it says that she called her attendants. So they brought the, the basket over, and she opens it up. And it says that she saw the tears of her child. She saw the baby, and she took pity on him. And in that moment, little Miriam, she has courage. She has boldness. She steps forward. She asks the royalty as a, as a slave, as the daughter of a slave. She steps forward to address royalty, the daughter of the king. That's pretty courageous, the, the Hebrews, uh, they, were, they were sheep herders. They were smelly people. They were like the lowest of the low. They were not popular. They were not cool. And Pharaoh's daughter, well, she would be wealthy and powerful. And she steps forward in boldness and in courage to address her. And she asks, shall I go get a nurse? Someone who's already nursing? Should I get someone to nurse this little baby boy for you? That took boldness. That took courage. And I think there's even more boldness and courage that we don't, don't see uh, plainly, but we can read it, that we can see it as we, as we look at the text. I, I, I don't think Pharaoh's daughter was dumb. I think she probably would have suspected, oh, someone is watching this child? A little girl? Perhaps this little girl is related to this little boy. Perhaps she knows who the mother is. When Miriam steps forward, she says the, the word nursing twice. She's offering someone who's already nursing. So she, clearly she knows someone who could be this child's mother. And that took a lot of courage because what could have Pharaoh's daughter asked? When she saw that this was a Hebrew baby, she could have said, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you watching this baby? You're disobeying my father. You're disobeying the king. You, Miriam, your mother, your father, they all deserve to be thrown into the Nile too. They all deserve to die. See, that's the type of courage Miriam had when she stepped forward. She also had this resurrection hope, this resurrection faith that God could produce life out of death for her, for her family, for her baby brother. It's a true example of courage and of faith that Miriam has. See, we can act with courage no matter how old we are. doesn't matter if we're 6, 12, 24, 52. We can have courage. Another kid who acted with courage is 13-year-old Jeremy. Recently, uh, Jeremy was on his bus, and the bus driver slumped forward passed out while he was driving the bus. And Jeremy jumped up, he ran to the front, uh, and he steered the bus to the side of the road, and he yanked out the keys. 
so that the, the, the bus would stop because he couldn't stop it. And then other kids on the bus, they called 911. And then Jeremy's friend Johnny did CPR on the bus driver to save the bus driver. These are all examples of courage. So you don't have to be an, an adult to have courage. You can be a child who has courage for your friends If you see bullying at school, if you see other kids getting picked on, it takes courage to go over and say, I'll be your friend. You can do that too. And you can do it as an example because you love God and you know God loves you and so you can have courage for others. You can stand up. Have you ever read a book or or watched a movie that, that, like a, a kid's movie, maybe an animated movie, where the kids defeat the bad guys. Now, there's all sorts of movies like this, but the one that popped into my mind is The Incredibles. I really like The Incredibles. And in The Incredibles, there's a 10-year-old. His name is Dash. And there's a, a roughly 15-year-old girl, and her name is Violet. And they defeat the evil, evil robot Omnibot. Omnidroid, excuse me. God used Miriam to defeat someone much worse. And she was probably even younger than Dash and Violet. God used Miriam as just a child, as a, as a kid, to do great things. And God can use you. She defeated the plans of Pharaoh, of an evil king. See, but Pharaoh wasn't the real bad guy in this story. The real bad guy is a, is a greater bad guy. Uh, an even worse bad guy that, 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 that we can't see in this world. But really, God uses Miriam to defeat him too. See, we don't have a Pharaoh out to get us. We're going to hear about another bad guy later in this story, but we do have a great spiritual enemy, and he is a real enemy. Now, we read it, uh, we watched in the movie, we watched the beginning where everything was good, everything was pure. It was the, the scene of them in the garden. What you didn't see was the serpent. There was a snake that came into the garden. And this snake has gone by other names in the Bible. Lucifer, Satan. And he's the enemy of God. He's the accuser. And what he does is he comes into the garden. He tempts Adam and Eve to sin. And they sin. They disobey God. Sin is anytime we disobey God. It's anytime we, we miss the mark. Anytime we warp God's truths. Many times we take something good and pure and holy and just smudge it up a little bit with our plans instead of God's plans. That's what sin is. And Satan, the serpent, he's the real bad guy, and he's been using sin to accuse people since the beginning, well, since shortly after the beginning. And God uses, uh, Satan uses his power to accuse people of, of something that they're really guilty of. See, we're all guilty of sin. We stand wrongly accused unless we have forgiveness. And God does provide for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. See, the only one who can defeat Satan, who can defeat uh, the serpent, is Jesus. He He can fix the sin problem. And when we accept Jesus into our hearts, when we invite him to to rule in our hearts and to forgive us, we are defeating the serpent along with Jesus. And when you tell other kids your age, about Jesus, about this Savior, you're helping defeat the serpent too. You're just like Miriam in the Bible. So God uses the courage of Miriam. He uses the faith of Miriam's mother, all to rescue a baby boy, baby Jesus. 
And he can use our courage and he can use our faith to rescue others today. Now, God rescues Moses for a specific reason. God rescues Moses for the people, for the nation of Israel. Moses' mother raises him until he's about three years old, and then she takes him to live with Pharaoh, uh, with Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Pharaoh's daughter gives the baby the name Moses. Now, in our culture, like, we don't even, we don't wait a year to name our babies. You'd probably think that's like child abuse. What, the baby doesn't have a name? Don't you know that's like the improper development? In their culture, they waited sometimes to name babies, or they would name babies around the events of their birth. They, wouldn't, they didn't have like these baby books made of papyrus that they would uh, go through uh, looking for names. Now, it's kind of fun to name something, isn't it? Name a child. If you're a kid, maybe you haven't done that, but maybe you've named your pet. You have a pet dog or a pet cat or gerbil. When I was growing up, uh, we got a yellow golden lab, so it's beautiful, kind of blonde color, and I wanted to name this dog Chocolate, but they wouldn't let me. My brothers wouldn't let me name our dog Chocolate, so we named her Brandy. Moses is named a very special name by Pharaoh's daughter. His name is actually Egyptian and Hebrew. In Egyptian, it means born of, and in Hebrew, it means I drew him out. It's cool how God is raising up this future leader of the nation of Israel who is the perfect representative for Israel. He has uh, a name that that has uh, Hebrew sounds in it. To draw out, it mimics this Hebrew word, so it sounds like a Hebrew name, but it's also an Egyptian name. So Moses is the perfect representative to go before Pharaoh and to talk with him. It's amazing how God orchestrates that for the people of Israel. Now, the, the book of Exodus, the name Exodus, means uh, to depart, to take out. So it's cool that God, that, that, that Moses' name means to draw out, and that's what his job is going to be. He's going to be leading the people out of bondage, leading the people out of slavery, to rescue, to deliverance. See, this story... The story that God is telling in the book of Exodus, using, God, uh, using Moses' mother, uses, using Moses' sister, Miriam, to rescue him, it has bigger implications because God is using this story to rescue the people of Israel. And in one way, this story is pointing forward. So have you ever taken your flashlight and you've like shined it down a dark hallway or you're outside and you're trying to, to see the trees at the end of your yard? Well, when you shine that flashlight, you can't really see the trees very clearly, right? You can't really see uh, the end of the hallway, especially if you're using your like iPhone uh, flashlight. You can see a little ways and a little ways is clearly, but you can't see far off. That's a picture of what this passage is doing because this passage is like a flashlight that is shining on a future leader who's going to come. And you can't really see him too clearly, but you can see that there's going to be some similarities between this leader and another leader. Another leader that's going to come over a thousand years later and lead God's people again out of slavery, out of bondage, out of captivity. But he's not going to lead them out of physical captivity. This leader is going to lead them out of spiritual captivity. And that's the story of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. Just like God rescued Moses from Pharaoh, God rescues Jesus from Herod, from King Herod. At the time of Jesus' birth, 
Matthew chapter 2. I'm not going to read it, but I want to kind of give you an overview. So after Jesus' birth, within the first year or two, the wise men come to, uh, to pay a visit. Now, the wise men come to give gifts, but they've seen the signs of the birth of this Messiah. Messiah means God's chosen one. So this leader that is coming for the nation of Israel, the people of God, but they don't know where exactly he's going to be born. So they go to the biggest city around where the, where the, the, the king is because they figure, well, the king must know. They go and they see King Herod and they ask, where's the one who is to be born king of the Jews? Now Herod is a little bit like Pharaoh. Herod is, is an evil guy. He's a bad guy. And he doesn't like that they're asking for another king. Because, well, one of his titles is the king of the Jews. And so he devises a plan. He comes up with this scheme because he wants this, this, this baby boy to be taken care of because he wants to be in power as long as possible. He tells the Magi to go to find this baby. He's in Bethlehem, according to the prophets, and then report to me about him so that I can go and I can worship him as well. But really, he just wants to kill the baby boy. The Magi, they go and they find the baby in Bethlehem and they, they worship him and they, they give him the gifts. But they go home by a different route. An angel warns them, don't go back to Herod. And Herod gets furious, he gets mad, and he's going to come and he's going to destroy the babies, all the babies in the town. And so another angel comes to Joseph. Mary and Joseph are the mother and father of baby Jesus. And this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. When the Magi, so when they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. See, God uses the obedience of Jesus' father to save him. The angel comes, the angel warns him in the middle of the night. And you can imagine for a moment, they've been there in Bethlehem for probably a year to two years. They, that's their home. That's their, their neighbors. They're, they're finally getting their feet under, the ground, under, their, under them as they they have this new culture, this new community that they're building into. And during the middle of the night, I get this vision and, you know, of, a, of an angel, of a dream. And, well, you know, I don't even know if it's real. He doesn't have those questions. He gets up in the middle of the night. He takes Mary. He takes baby Jesus. And he goes. He leaves. Joseph is an, an example of obedience for us today. See, slow obedience is also disobedience, isn't it? Slow obedience is disobedience. I'm not a father, but I am a husband. And I believe God calls us to, to be examples of obedience in our families, to lead our families, to, to show that we obey God, that we're following someone greater than ourselves. Sometimes God calls us to do things, whether obeying his word or other things? And are we, are we quick examples of obedience? Do we show that we have faith just like Moses' mother, Jochebed? Do, do we show that we have courage just like little Miriam? 
Because those things are all acted out when we show obedience, that we're willing to trust God with our actions. I want to be more like Joseph. Joseph's actions, Joseph's quick obedience to God, doing it God's way instead of perhaps the way Joseph would have preferred, led to the rescue of his child. It saved his son. Matthew 2, verse 16 says this, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. In the story of Matthew chapter 2, And in Exodus chapter 2, we see two very similar things happening. Two evil kings trying to kill young, uh, defenseless boys who God wants to use, who God wants to raise up to lead his people out of captivity. And in both instances, God uses the courage, the faith, the obedience of Simple people, of ordinary people to defeat great kings in their cultures. One day Jesus is going to lead his people out of spiritual captivity. And we can thank the faith-filled actions of individuals for that. See, God is going to use Jesus for a very special plan, for a very special purpose. God rescues Jesus for us, for you and me today. This story impacts us. It's not just a story that's 2,000 years old and we can be done with it. It's a story that's really relevant for our lives. See, Jesus is going to do what no one else has done before. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity. He drew them out. But they were still in spiritual bondage. See, the solution to their sins had not been completed. They, had, they might have gotten rid of their, kind of their earthly circumstances that were frustrating, but they hadn't truly dealt with the spiritual circumstances, the sin problem in their own hearts. That's much harder to deal with. Now, Moses' name means to draw out, and this other baby's name, Jesus' name, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, an angel says that this name means that God will save his people from their sins. Both names have incredible significance. Moses points forward to the name of Jesus. So Jesus is born, and he's born to rescue us from our sins. Well, how can he do that? How can Jesus deliver us from our sins? He does this by dying for us. See, the consequence of sin, of that first brokenness, that first disobedience to God, the consequence is death. We should all die because of the sin in our hearts. It's that serious. It's that real. And so the only way to pay the the penalty for our sins is to die ourselves or to have someone else die on our behalf. Romans 6.23 shares the problem, the consequence, but also the solution. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That means we all deserve to die. You get paid your wages for the hard work you do. Just by living our everyday lives, we deserve to die because of the problem of sin. But the Bible, although it's clear about the bad news, it's even clearer about the good news. 
It's even more joyful about the good news, that there's a solution, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, Jesus paid the ultimate penalty for our sins. He died. It was a pretty rough death. Come back on Easter if you want to hear about that, or or next week. He pays the ultimate price, he dies, but then he rises again because he's perfect, because he didn't deserve to die. God raises him, and what's that called? That's called resurrection faith, right? Resurrection hope, Jesus rises again. And if we put our faith in Jesus, if we have the courage, if we have the belief to put our faith in him, in that resurrection hope, God promises us that one day we'll rise again too. After we die, One day, Jesus will return. That's what Advent's all about. One day, Jesus will return and we'll be risen. We'll be resurrected. This is incredible, incredibly good news. And all we have to do is repent, say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the way I've blown it. I repent and I put my faith in you, just like Jochebed. I believe that you can rescue me, that that your hands are an ark. And that you want to carry me safely into eternal life. And the good news is, yes, you can steal a laser light show. You can steal Christmas presents from another house. But you can never steal someone who knows Jesus and is rescued by Jesus from God. That's the good news of the gospel, of Christianity. John chapter 28, or John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29 say this. It says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. See, God is the greatest one of all. And if we belong to him, we're safe, we're secure. We don't have to be worried about that serpent, about that Satan, about that sin, because we're forgiven and God owns us, we're his. See, with Jesus, we're safe, we're secure, we're rescued. With Jesus, we're rescued. The story of Moses points forward to another story, to the story of Jesus Christ. God delivers Moses and the people of Israel because one day through those people, The Israelites, another rescuer, another deliverer is going to come, and that's Jesus Christ. And any who puts their faith in him is also rescued, also experiences that rescue. See, the amazing thing is is that God had to save these individuals, Moses and Jesus, so that he could save a whole host of people. So that everyone in this room could come to, to know the rescue of God. I want to end on a story telling you about a, na- a man named John Howland. John Howland. He was born in 1599, right about then. And if he were alive today, he'd be 417 years old. So he would be an old man. But he's, he's, he's moderately famous. Not really that famous, but he's famous because he came on the Mayflower to America. And on the voyage over, it was rough. The Mayflower was a very uh, tight, cramped vessel. And everyone except for the crew was supposed to stay below board. 
But of course, below board, people were getting sick. They're getting nauseous. They're, they're coming down with all sorts of infirmities. So it smelled bad. It, it probably uh, taste, uh, the water tasted bad or, or whatever they had to drink. And so uh, one day he goes up on the deck to get some fresh air. And he is immediately swept overboard. And as he's, as he's being swept overboard, he, he grabs out and he grabs a, it's called a topsail halyards. And I don't really know what that is, but it's, it's a rope to a higher sail, all right? So it's a rope to a sail. And, and he held on to this for dear life. I want to show you a picture, uh, a painting that a, a maritime artist did of this scene, of the Mayflower, this, this painting is called Howland Overboard. And in the artist's imagination, you can just see Howland just stretching, just holding on for dear life as the waves crash down. He's saved by the crew. They, they throw out a hook and they pull him on board and he's saved and he makes it successfully to America. And it's through him that we have over a million descendants living in the United States today. See, John Howland's descendants include people like President Franklin Roosevelt, President George H. Bush and George W. Bush, Alec and Stephen Baldwin, Humphrey Bogart, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and Ralph Waldo Emerson. They are all descendants of this man that almost perished on the voyage over here. Our lives would be much different if he had died. The story of Exodus chapter 2 is the story of God going down and hooking Moses out of the Nile. God delivering Moses, saving him from Pharaoh's evil plans so that a whole host of people could be rescued, so that all the Israelites could have life. They could escape captivity. A thousand years later, God reached down and rescued not just any baby boy this time, but his own son, Jesus Christ. And he brought him out of the murderous clutches of King Herod. Both of those times, God used courage and faith and obedience of individuals. I want to challenge you. Are you willing to be rescued? Are you willing to be delivered. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is rescued. You don't have to perish in the waves of your sin. God rescued Jesus for us, for me, for you, if you put your faith in him. With Jesus, we're safe, we're rescued, we're free, we're delivered. With Jesus, we're rescued. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message. Thank you for how the story of Moses tells us about the birth of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there are people here or on the live stream that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have not been rescued from their sins, that you would rescue them tonight. That they would receive the greatest Christmas gift ever given, your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.